The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. You do a beautiful job. Thank you, Miss Meg. Well, as we come to this time, I invite your attention to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, uh, verse 13. Mark 12, 13. If you're visiting with us or you don't have your Bible today, that's page 848 on the Blue Pew Bible. Big number 12, chapter number 12, small number 13 as we get started this morning. And I just want to remind you as well that uh, if you're in Sunday school or small group, we are getting close to catching up. Uh, with the sermon. Uh, so you will have studied through further in about three weeks, and we've gotten in two and a half years with our sermons. So uh, just keep that in mind. It, it is like the turtle and the hare, tortoise and the hare. We will get to the finish line first. It just takes a lot of naps and a lot of time to get there. So hold on. We will get there. And we plan these, uh, I've said numerous times over the years, we plan these uh, in late fall. So I did not when we planned these, did not coincide the week, but we are talking about taxes the week that taxes is due. So consider this your governmental and, more importantly, your spiritual reminder of such things as we get started this morning. Well, there was a letter written to a young uh, uh, president at one time, and a young boy decided that he wanted $100 so badly that he had to write the president. He prayed about it for weeks, nothing happened, so let's write the president so everything can happen. So when he, post, uh, when he posted the uh, address to the letter, it said, To God, comma, USA. And the postal service decided to send it directly to the president. Don't know who the president was, just the president. And he was so amused, the president was, that he told the secretary to put $5 back and send it back to the young man. And the little boy was delighted with the $5 he got in the mail a few days later that he sat down to write a thank you letter to God, because that's what you do when you're small, Right. And the postal authorities forwarded the letter also from the president. It read, Dear God, thank you very much. Uh, the young man's letter said, Dear God, thank you very much for sending the money. However, I noticed that for some reason you sent it through Washington, D.C. And these guys deducted $95 in taxes out of the $100 I asked for. That's your only tax joke for the day, all right? And it's so true. Three things in life are guaranteed, right? Death, taxes, and the McDonald's ice cream machine is going to be broken the day you want to use it. That's how it always happens. Here's my stump speech for the day. My plan for America, no payroll deduction, no escrow. Everyone pays on April 15th. We vote on April 16th. And that's my plan for America. You can vote for me later if you'd like to. But it's true. One thing more certain than death and taxes is this, is that Jesus Christ is Lord of Lords, and He is returning someday. And He's not going to shortchange those who promised and trusted in Him. Amen? That's what we know to be true. So we have to ask this question, why, if we live in this society, if Christ is coming back, do we deal with things with the government? That's a big question. I mean, why drive the speed limit? Why pay your taxes? Why do all sorts of things? Why not go steal that motorcycle you've been coveting from your neighbor's garage as he rooms it through the neighborhood? You do it because the Bible tells us to. Romans 13, 6, for because of this, because God has put people in charge, Paul says, you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. 
But let's be honest, as Christians, we struggle with this. We know this is our responsibility. The question is even more pressing as Christian business owners suffer from uh, workplace convictions, whether they be bakers and they don't want to bake things for certain people or whatever it is. We're moving into a time where being a Christian and being related to the government, whether it's in America or other places, is very hard. Recently, year, in recent years, a fire chief from Atlanta was fired because of his views over marriage and sexuality, and thankfully that was overturned in the courts to reflect a more biblical worldview. But it makes us wonder how much longer we have before the full throttle of persecution comes forth. Christians may object to how tax money is spent, and some even, may even engage in civil disobedience. If I say the name Ken Hov- or Kent Hoven, does that name ring a bell for anybody? Kent Hovind? Man, really? That surprises me. One person, Derek Brown, you win the chicken dinner today, buddy. But Kent Hovind was a Christian. He struggled with these things. He was into creationism and, and teaching what the Bible says about the, the creation. And he spent a decade behind bars because he did not want to pay taxes because he said that's God's money, not your money. Now, that's not typically the Christian worldview, but it highlights a struggle of what it is to be a faithful Christian in a place and a time where you are at odds with the government, perhaps on many things. So this morning, what is this all about? I mean, we're going to be going through the passage, render under Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and render under God's the things that are God's. But what does that really mean? And how does that affect you? How does that affect our church? What do we learn about our Lord from these things? Well, the big idea today, and, 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 and it was noted in our staff Facebook messages that this was a little different even than perhaps the text is usually preached, but a faithful church is from above and identifies with the king of the universe, not any country, not any nationality, or any political party. And I think this is important. Because Christians who have divergent views about government policy, and and let me tell you, there are Democrats in this room, there are Republicans in this room, there are nuns in this room. But the one thing we have in common is that Jesus Christ is Lord of Lords, amen? That's what we have. The weather changes, governments changes, the royals' record changes, your body changes, people change, but Jesus never changes. There's no church committee that can meet all your needs. There's no government that can meet all your needs. There's no United Nations program that will fill the deepest needs of our heart. Rather than tenaciously defending our rights as creatures, we need to spend more time celebrating the rights we have as children of God. And we don't hitch our peace wagon to mere men. We don't hitch our peace wagon to politics or Wall Street or romance or kids or wives or appearance or health. Only Jesus, the Prince of Peace, he was the peace that we long for. And his government is a peace that will transcend whatever administration is before us or behind us. And this is why 1 Peter 2, 7 says, Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. This morning, two reminders about what this means in your life. And again, this may be preached a little bit different than you're used to, but I think it's important. First, I want to remind you about who your Lord is. Before we talk about your responsibility as a citizen in this land, or whatever land you may find yourself, I want to talk to you about the qualities of the Lord of Lords, how they are unrivaled by anyone else. And the irony of the situation is, Jesus' opponents even say these things, even though they don't believe these things. And secondly, and perhaps more practically for you, the commands of the Lord of Lords are unshackling. When you understand what it means to render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and render unto God's what is God's, it is unshackling for you. At least it should be. 
But today we find ourselves where Jesus has been the last several times and will be the next several sermons. He's on Terrible Tuesday. He's on Question Tuesday. They keep sending people to question him over and over and over and over again to find out whether he's really going to be the one that is going to be the king of Israel or something else, and they're ready to trip him up. So they bring a political question in, thinking this is the time bomb that's going to blow up Jesus' ministry. But isn't it cool that God always is in control? Amen? That nothing surprises him, and when they bring what they think is the best question, they still leave it. he still leaves them in awe. That is our God. Guys, you have a lot of needs in this room today. Taxes probably isn't on your mind. The government's probably not on your mind. You have family stuff. You have friends stuff. You have worries. You have concerns. You have joys. But let me remind you today that the preaching of the Word is, is that whatever we study, God, what is it that you want me to hear today through your Word? Will you join me as we stand in honor of God's Word? Just four short verses this morning. Mark 12, 13 through verse 17, as we read God's Word. And please hear me. This is not another Stephen King novel. This isn't a Harlequin book. This isn't the greatest bestseller or classical book. This is the Word of God. And let our ears be attentive to what is said this morning. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees, verse 13, and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. So is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? Verse 15, But knowing their hypocrisy, Jesus said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one, and he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said, Caesar's. And Jesus said to them, Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and render unto God the things that are God's. And as Jesus always does, you see that last phrase there, and they marveled at him. What does it mean for us to own our money, to own our lives before God and before men. That's the topic this morning as we bow our heads and close our eyes. Let's, let us pray together. Father, we thank you that, first off, we are yours. Father, not because we chose you, but in Christ, Father, we love because you first loved us. Father, what a, what a great uh, a humbler that is, is that, Lord, we brought nothing to the table, but yet you, Father, brought your very son to the table, and this is a perfect offering for our sin. Father, we thank you that nothing we have within us is sufficient for us to be known by you, but we thank you that through Christ alone we are known to you by faith through his grace. Father, thank you this morning. These are big questions. We don't claim to solve them all this morning, uh, but Father, at the same time, we recognize that as citizens in this world, especially those within the earshot of the voice this morning, uh, live in the United States, perhaps at odds with biblical worldview, are at odds, Father. Forgive us for the slaughter of babies that have happened in this nation. Forgive us for, 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 for favoring one race over another in this nation. Father, forgive us for so much. But Lord, this morning we look in our church, we look in our hearts, we look in our fellowship. Give us wisdom, Lord, how this applies to us and our families. Father, we thank you so much for your grace. We pray this today in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Well, as we come to this time of questions, I, I just want to remind you that Jesus is going to be asked questions. I, I noted, and I won't go through these, but over the next several weeks, Jesus is going to be asked and ask about 10 different questions. That's crazy. They, they, they're trying to do everything they can to get him. 
But how do we honor God and King? I, I just want to remind you first off that the qualities of our Lord of Lords are unrivaled. And you, you see this first off as they approach Jesus. You see them coming quickly. They just left with one question. You remember the Sanhedrin had asked him about several things the last couple weeks, but now they're coming again. And they're two odd ducks. It's, it, we were talking about my sports. Re- if you're not a sports fan, I'm sorry. I apologize in advance. But this is like an MU and a KU, an Oakland Raider and a Kansas City Chief. This is, like, uh, uh, this is like the New York Jets and the New York Giants. This is like the worst rivals you could ever put together coming to question Jesus. On one side, you have the Pharisees. On the other side, you have the Herodians. The Pharisees were pro-Israel. The Herodians sold their soul to Rome. The Pharisees were conservative Jews The others, the Herodians, were liberal, and they mixed their religion with Rome. The Pharisees hated Rome. The Herodians worked with Rome. The Pharisees were a religious group. The Herodians, as it implies, were a political party. But they had one thing in common. They hated. They disliked. They abhorred Jesus Christ. Strange bedfellows, to be sure. Pharisees wanted Jesus dead because he confronted them about their religion, and Herodians wanted him dead because he called himself to be a king. Jesus rode into Jerusalem with all the praise of the people, and the Herodians said, there's no Lord but Caesar. And the Pharisees said, there's no no king but God, and you are out of line, sir. Friends, I want to remind you how strange it is that some of the weirdest groupings of people will often come together under the name of religion. That happens in churches, it happens in Christian organizations, and the church, as it'll see on the screen, the church of Jesus Christ will have opposition from without. But often the greatest opposition that happens within the church is those who are internally wayward and internally sinful. Romans 13.8, we'll be there a lot today, says, Oh, no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. And right out of the gate, right out of this gate, they are going against the Lord Jesus Christ, who he is, what he stands for, and what he hopes to do. And this is why that sometimes in a church, the splits that happen in church, the fights that happen in a church happen because people go wayward in their sin and their thoughts, and they're not united around Jesus Christ, they're united around their own agendas, and they get people who are on the fence with each other together to do the bidding to to do whatever they feel is best for the church. Christian, be careful. How you handle your hatred of another brother or sister in Jesus Christ speaks volumes about your faith or lack thereof in Jesus Christ. Pray for wisdom. Pray for strength. Churches that wield together against sin and against truth are are for truth are those that stand together. But you notice what they try to do. They try to catch him in his words. This is a trap. It's like an animal trap. They're trying to get him in. They're trying to bait him in, Jesus. They're trying to get him in. But you also notice they say some true things. And this is where I really want to spend the meat of our time in point one as we look to how to honor our God and King. Notice, first off, they say, Teacher, we know the words you say are true. And that's number one. God is true. You notice that in there? We know that you're truthful. They can't deny it. Jesus was preaching the truth. They knew it. They just did not want to accept it. As Jesus said, he who speaks from himself speaks for his own glory, John 7, 18. 
But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true, and there is no unrighteousness in him. How do you define truth? How do you define truth in a world that is against truth? Is truth defined by how you feel? Is truth defined by anything else? Guys, God is the definition of truth, amen? God's truth overrules our truth. And if something happens in your life that you're dealing with that you need to fight, then often you go to other people to find a voice that agrees with yours, but often we forget that God's Word is the only thing that we need to be in alignment with. We can be wrong with a lot of things, but if we miss the truth that is in Jesus Christ, we've missed everything. Because if we go with anyone else, and, and, and Brother Dave, I thought of you this week because you quoted this to me last week, John eight forty four, or in that ballpark, that Jesus told them that if you are not walking with him, you're walking with the father of lies, the devil himself. But notice what also they tell about our Lord. They say, secondly, that it's, they go on to say, you know, you teach truth and you have no concern for anyone else. Jesus here is being upheld that our Lord does not answer to anyone. He doesn't answer to anyone. So often in America, we think that, that, that somehow Jesus is in competition with Satan or anyone else. Guys, Christ is in charge. He is in charge. That's great news for your soul and mine, that nothing that comes in our way is ever anything other than what it needs to be because he has brought it to us. We just sang about that, that everything passes through his hand in our lives. Now, I want you to know that it's, it, this can be a negative thing for people. You cannot be concerned about your neighbor. You cannot be concerned about the people around you. But Jesus loves his neighbor. And, and, and this is what Paul said in Galatians 1.10, For am I seeking the favor of men or of God? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Jesus Christ. So even in their sin, the, the Pharisees and the Herodians recognize Jesus doesn't care a lick about what other people say. Christian, be very clear and I struggle with this. I'll be honest. As your pastor, I struggle with this. Because if I do one thing, I fear that group. If I do one thing, I fear that group. And that's my sin. Because in my nature, as with most pastors, we like to please people. And we don't like to stand on things because sometimes those things will hurt people even though we know it's the right thing to do. But Jesus didn't care because he was God and he knew that his truth was truth and he stood on it. Thirdly, notice what they say about the Lord. He, they go on to say in verse 14 that... You're not partial to anyone. Not only do you not care what other people don't say, Jesus, you're not partial to anyone. That's good news for us. God is no respecter of persons. This is why if you dress as the most cool person ever with your $1,000 kicks and your cool jacket and everything else, God couldn't care a lick if you bought your shoes for $10 at Walmart. And I do that, don't you? Because the budget doesn't allow for much else. God doesn't care. What God does care is, is that your heart is set upon Him. God makes no practice of favoring people based upon appearance. Scripture says, you shall do no injustice. You shall be not partial to the poor or to the great, but you shall judge your neighbor fairly. Poor people can have the wrong impression of rich people, can't they? Well, he must have all the money in the world, and he must, he must be a wicked, greedy, weaselly kind of guy. But rich people can have the opposite view of poor people. Well, they, they just don't work hard enough. They're just lazy gluttons that never do anything. Oh, come, Lord Jesus, come. Our Lord speaks as one who is impartial. This is why it doesn't matter if your mama had faith, your daddy had faith, and your cousin's a pastor. If you don't place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you know not the Lord Jesus Christ. 
So why do they say this to him? Because Jesus' whole ministry has had opportunity to be part of this group or that group or this part of this group, and he doesn't care. He is God. He's going to be his own God, and he doesn't align himself with people who are not set up for him. And church, I say we should do the same thing as well. If our Lord does not show partiality, we should not show partiality within the church. James 2 talks about this. If a rich man comes in our church, we don't bring him up to the front row and say, here's your green throne. You can sit on it and sit up front. And if a poor man comes in, hey, get out of here. You stink. You haven't had a bath in a week because God shows no partiality. You remember the story of David, don't you? Very familiar. His brothers are all being considered for the kingship, and God tells Samuel the prophet, no, 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 no. And then he says, do you have any other brothers or sons? Yeah, there's this real skinny dude out in the field somewhere. And you remember what God said? He looks not at the outward appearance, but he looks at the what? Looks at the inside. So friend, our Savior, our Lord, as we honor him, I want you to know that what may seem unfair to you as God wills his will in your life There is no impartiality with him. He's not going to do you wrong. He's not going to put you out to pasture. He loves you. He cares for you. It may be hard for you, but it's the best for you, if that makes sense. Again, you notice, fourthly, he says that our Lord teaches the way of truth. Nelson, can you turn down the air? I'm warm up here. I'm sure it's warm back there. Can you notch us down a couple notches, please? Uh, I, I feel warm up here, but I appreciate that very much. Fourth, you notice that the way of truth is in God, that God doesn't play to the crowd. Look what they tell him. Look what they tell him about our Lord. He goes on to say that you are not swayed by anyone's appearances, but you truly teach the way of God. Are they just, are they just buttering him up here? Kind of they are. They're telling him, look, Jesus, you are teaching the truth. So what's the irony here? Have you ever said, had someone who tells you what's true and they just don't follow it anyway? I'm sure cops have this happen all the time. Hey, ma'am, how fast were you going? Well, I was going 70 and a 55, but if you only knew what I had to do right now, right? This is exactly what they're telling them. That, again, this is related to the truth. Jesus doesn't allow circumstances to determine what is truth. He doesn't play one way around people and then go act another way around his family. He's always the same, and that is good news for us. Because as we seek to honor him as king, we know he doesn't vacillate based upon what bribes may come his way or what favors may come his way. Unfortunately, there are many, though, who merchandise the word of God this way. They don't teach the truth because they like people loving them so much. And like Second Timothy says, they like their ears to be tickled. And that's not what Jesus came to do. Finally, our Lord is not fooled. He doesn't play the fool He knows all and he sees all. Did you see what it said? He asked them the question after they say these true statements, for you're not swayed, but you truly teach. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or should we pay or should we not? They think they got him trapped. The question when it comes in terms is is permitted that you're to give to uh, you're to give your taxes away. That's even in the Old Testament. The question is one of authority. If he says, yes, give to Caesar, then the Pharisees are going to say, but there's no king but God. If he says, yes, give to God, the Herodians are going to say, well, well, are you saying that Caesar isn't worthy to be followed? They really have thought this through. They have boxed him in, they think. They think they've painted him into a corner, but Jesus is not the God that gets painted into a corner. It has removed, they think, the ability for Jesus to evade the question. 
But you go on to see what he says. But he, knowing, next verse, their hypocrisy, said to them, why are you testing me? The Scripture is very clear that God knows our minds. He knows our thoughts. When you're sitting next to someone saying, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, and you're smiling so big, but in your mind your daggers are coming out at them, God sees that. And we will give an account, won't we, for every loose word that we say, think, consider, and plan. But all four Gospels present Jesus as having supernatural insight into their minds. And yet, they think they've got him cornered. Guys, don't you love our God? Don't you love that he is truthful, that he is impartial, that he doesn't answer to anyone, that he is true, that when you trust him, when you give him your life, you're not just trusting a flippant God, but a God who's as strong as the the rocks are steady. God is good. Church, we can trust our church to that future. The gates of hell will never prevail against the church of God, and that includes wherever we are called to be faithful. Parents, you can trust your kids to the Lord, even if they walk away from Him. Please know that He is glorified because you have been faithful to Him. You can honor your God in everything because He has no match. He is unrivaled in everything that He has. So is it lawful to pay the tax? What tax are they talking about? They're talking about the reference of the Roman census tax. It took one day's work. Wouldn't you love if taxes only took one day of your wage? Oh, gosh, guys, come on, wake up if you're asleep. (laughs) Wouldn't you love if taxes was only one day's work? Some of y'all are going to start your 2020 campaign right now. But this is the, what was in question. It was a poll tax. For those paying it, it was, some, it was a symbol of Roman occupancy. If you're a Jew and you pay this, you're basically feeding the monster. But wouldn't you love to pay taxes only one day? On one side of the coin was a picture of Tiberius Caesar Augustus, the ruler of the time. And he was the son of the divine uh, Augustus. And on the back of the coin was a phrase that said, highest priest. Not only was it bad from a Jewish standpoint because they didn't consider him king, but they also thought it was bad because there's only one high priest, and that was the the guy voted in or out. So Jesus is in a quandary, but I want you to know he's unrivaled. He sees their dishonesty, their insincerity, and their deceit. So let's go on to number two, the meat of the question here. What does it mean to render unto Caesar and to give unto God? Look at verse 15. First, you see here in verse 15, He tells them very clearly, knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why put me to the test? Why put me to the test? And he goes on to ask the question. He says, render unto Caesar, or bring me a denarius and let me look at it. I want to remind you, this coin as a Jew was very hard. Because as a Jew, you want to honor God. But as a citizen, you're supposed to honor Rome. So what do you do? It's a big debate. And he goes on to be very clear And he looked at it and said, and they brought one, and he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. If you're a history buff, this is one of the greatest sentences that formed Western government. But the very coins to engage in commerce were were considered sinful by the very Jews that were supposed to use them. I mean, can you imagine being in that spot? I mean, guys, we have some hard choices as Americans, but can you imagine being in a spot? Maybe you felt this way. We say on the back of every dollar bill that passes through our hands and on our coins, in God we trust. 
But let's be honest. Is our nation trusting in God? I, I, I mean, frankly, I think we can say no. I think the nation itself has proven that we have more people taken out baby-wise than was considered in all of World War II and World War I combined. I think we're not trusting God. There may be individuals, there may be groups, there may be faith churches, but it's not there. So how do we handle this? I want you to see, first off, that good Christians are good citizens. Good Christians are good citizens. We are law-abiding. We are tax-paying. And this stunned. Can you imagine this? Can you imagine? They, they think they got him painted in a corner, but because of whatever their differences were, they hated Jesus. We got him, we got him, we got him. And then he throws this out, this bombshell. In Genesis 1.28, God commanded Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. That's what he told us to do. And authority by nature reflects God's authority. And Romans 13 says that G, Romans 13 echoes that where it says no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. So government, things, are actually for our good. As crazy as that is. And certainly order is better than organizing society around our own self-interest. We tried that once, the barbarians and the clans, and it didn't work. So Americans, given our history, we struggle, if we're honest, to see authority as a good thing. You may struggle, Christian, to see pastoral authority as a good thing for your spiritual life. I may struggle to see congregational authority as a pastor as a good thing for our church life at times. But you know what? Together, God has instituted authority. Scripture com compels us to obey. Romans 13, 7, pay to all what is owed them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Look, as a Christian, you are to respect those in authority. That, that, uh, that policeman who pulls you over for the 70 and the 55 deserves your respect. Kids, if you're at school, that hall monitor who tells you to stop running in the hallway deserves your respect. Christian, your boss, Christian or not, deserves your respect. Landlords, tenants, deserve your respect by both ways. And I want to encourage you, and I want to thank the many members of our church who work in government, police, and the like. Thank you for serving as you do. How hard it must be. I cannot imagine. I, you know, if I pulled up to someone, this is just me, and I pulled them over, and they're like, man, I'm late for a meeting. I wouldn't give them a ticket because I, I can identify with that. Better to get there on time than be late was my mama's motto. I get it. I just can't do that. But 1 Timothy 2 tells us to pray for all our leaders and live quiet and godly lives. 1 Peter 2 tells us that we're a chosen generation and we're to live such good lives among the Gentiles that they praise God for our existence. Look, there's a lot of things I want to see changed in America, as you do, from issues we all agree on, but the greatest witness we have is the faithful witness of being a faithful Christian. Did you know that? Your greatest witness is living out the commands of Jesus Christ and taking that seriously. Forgiving when people have wronged you blessing people who persecute you, loving people who are your neighbors, who aren't like you, who are different statuses from you than me, from us. That is what a good citizen does. And I praise God for the fruit we see of that in our congregation. Secondly, when he says render under Caesars, what he's talking about, I think secondly, is that Christianity is international. That we have, our spiritual ties transcend our national ties. Let me just say this, friend. There is no earthly kingdom that can be identified with God's people. We are international. This may shock some of you. 
But there is nothing more biblical because around the throne of heaven, we're not going to be grouped by nationality. You have more in common, if you're a Christian in Jesus Christ, with an Iranian in Iran who is a, who's a Christian as well than you have across the street with a guy that has a big flag on his truck but hates God because of what God requires of him. Did you know that? You have more in common with a Christian in Brazil who lives out in the jungle and wears hardly any clothes that believes Jesus is the Savior, has repented and believed of their sin, than you have of a political supporter in your party who hates Jesus Christ because of what Jesus said. Well, how can that be? Aren't we in the same country? Yes, you are in the same country together, but your spiritual ties are always greater than your national ties, aren't they? Isn't this what Jesus said? You're going to hate your mother, your brother, your sister, your wife, your everything, and those who follow me have to count the cost. Now, am I saying that we go in our own holy convent and covenant and, and just, just do our own life together as Christians? No, that's not at all what we're saying. But we're saying that if you have a greater respect for a person who hates Jesus Christ, then you have a love for a Christian of another nationality, different skin color or the like, then we, you, I, all of us are in sin because of that. I hope you hear that clearly. We as Christians are international. This is why if you've been on a mission trip before and you've popped in a church of another country and you don't understand a lick of what they're saying, but you know that they know that you know it's all about Jesus Christ even though your language is different. Because it's not about the nationality. It's about the spiritual ties. Do you know Jesus? Have you repented or do you not? There's no neutral ground. You cannot be a person in this life like a, like a, like a pastor, a brother here and I used to say a lot. You can't be like a, a person who's on a fence like a cat walking between two bulldogs. There's no Switzerland. You're either for Christ or against Christ. Do you believe that? Your spiritual ties are greater than your national ties. Now, let me be very, very clear here. 1 Peter 2, 14. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be emperor as supreme or to the governor sent to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. When we do good, Christian, 1 Peter 1, 15, we are to, quote, put to silence the ignorance of foolish people, end quote. We are to, as I read earlier, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, Fear God, honor the emperor. And there are times that we ourselves as Christians may have to engage in what many would be considered civil disobedience. When an authority commands something that is against the very nature and the word of God, we stand against that. When someone says you cannot gather to share Jesus, that that is a false God, then we stand up and say there is no king but God, and he is there. I respect your office, sir or ma'am, but God tells me I honor him first above all because my ties are international. They're spiritual greater than national, and therefore we will do that because that would be obeying a true but lower authority, uh, or it would be obeying a lower authority but not the true higher authority that is in God. And that's why we have to be careful, Christian. Please hear me clearly. I love our nation, but we need to be very, very careful by throwing out the phrase Christian nation in these days that we live. Because, look, clearly our nation's founders were influenced by biblical themes, many of them evangelical Christians. And even if the Supreme Court recognized the long history of influence, this does not mean that most Americans are Christians. Guys, our neighborhoods are filled with people who are headed to hell because they reject the greatest king, Jesus Christ. 
but still vote the same way many of us vote in this room. Be very careful about calling our nation Christian when the very people who make up our nation want nothing to do with the God of the Bible, specifically in faith in Jesus Christ. This does not mean that most Americans are Christian or that it dominates our way today. Jesus has to do something greater and deeper in our hearts. Look, friends, it, can I just say a pastoral word? If giving up politics for some of you is the greatest thing that you can do in your life to share the gospel more, then may it be so. Politics will fade, guys. Politics are, will go away. But the gospel work that we have to reach the nations in our neighborhoods and our backyards goes on every single day, doesn't it? Surrender under Caesars. Be a good citizen. Pay your taxes. Do things. If it goes against the Word of God, we need to meet about those things. But give unto God what is God's. What does this mean? What does it mean that we are to give unto God what is God's? And I'll, this will be our closing here. Jesus says this very clearly. It's very clear what he means when he talks about Caesar, but render under to God. This is by far the greater obligation, Christian. Our greatest obligation is to serve and live for God, but this is not an exclusive obligation. We are to give to Caesar, but even more so to God himself. What belongs to God? What is that? Well, Genesis 1 tells us that you were made in the likeness of God. You were not made by a, a mass of things coming together and making something. You are made in God's image. You are unique. You are created in His image. We are uniquely male and female. The trees, the birds, the rivers, the hermit crabs, the snakes, the ferrets, whatever else you can find at Petco these days, those are not created in the image of God. God made you to be like Him. He made you a mind that you may know him. He gave you a heart that you would love him. He gave you a will to obey him. Your dog Fido has a mind, but it will never know God. Your parakeet Pete will never have the same emotions as you have. Animals have emotions, don't they? We all know this. We love animals for that reason. But they'll never feel the affections for God that you and I, sir and ma'am, were created to be. Adam sinned, and that image was tarnished. We became corrupt. Adam gave birth to a son, Genesis 5.3, in his own image. He was passing down a sin nature. It's like walking up to a train that's been in a train wreck, and you see that it's just ruined. But praise God, when Jesus Christ came, he gave us a reversal of that. He reversed the effects of Eden. He reversed the effects of Adam. The second Adam restored to us the image of God that's been imprinted on our souls. And those of us who were far off have now been brought near by the blood of Christ. A new birth to be received, to be loved, to be cherished is ours. We have a new heart. We have a new heart to which we may love God and have affection for Him. We have a new will which we may obey God. So what does it mean to render unto God the things that are God's? It means clearly that our ultimate accountability is to God. And you'll see that on the screen. Our duty to earthly authority is so limited that our life is yours. Friend, you have a duty to live for God. What if Christians around the nation started taking seriously the Bible? What would our nation look like? What would our families look like? What if people who proclaim to love Jesus on Sunday went out and actually lived it out, imperfect as we are? What would your neighborhood HOA look like? What would your workplace look like? What would your family look like? Give your soul to God. 
You've been created by God for God. You give your life to God. Friend, that may require you to go overseas, but for many of you, that's just walking across to knock on your neighbor's door and just love on them and pray for them and share the gospel with them. It may require some of you to undergo persecution, to give to God what is God's, your life. But for many of you, it won't go that, that, that deep. But for all of us, it's the same. Lord, you've given me new life in Christ. What can I do to honor you? Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. That's what it means. God created you for a purpose, and as long as you live for yourself, you are not in that. You are walking opposite of that. Have you prayed lately? Lord, what is it in my life that I want to? Stay-at-home moms, we have a few in this room. Kudos to you guys. They did a study a few years ago of all the things a mom does, acting like a doctor, a teacher, uh, a professional counselor, a policeman, and all these things. Stay-at-home moms, your average salary was over a million dollars a year. That's awesome. I know. Some of y'all are ready to sign up right now, right? Stay-at-home moms, you may feel like your, your life is nothing, that you're not doing anything for the Lord, but you're doing great work. Retiree, can we just say that your greatest days are yet behind? Isn't it what, jo- what Caleb was told by God in Joshua 14, that there is no retiree, that your time until God takes you home is his time until he takes you home? Worker who've been in the same job for years and years and years, and you could do your job blindfolded and asleep at the same time with your hands tied behind your back. Have you thought about what God would have you do to render unto him the things that are his at your job? Student, young person, have you asked God, Lord, what is it that you want me to do with my life to give back to you what you've given to me? It's a big thing. You have time to give your life to God, and nothing else matters but just that. What is it for you in this time? Close with a story, but a man was on vacation outside his hotel in, in Mexico on the sunny beaches. Doesn't that sound good? And suddenly he was attracted by the screams of a woman kneeling in front of a child. And the man knew enough Spanish to, to understand that the child had swallowed a coin. He was choking, right? And seizing the child by the heels, the man uh, held him up, gave him a few shakes, and the American quarter dropped out of his mouth. He said, oh, gracias, senor. Thank you, sir. You seem to know just how to get that out of him. Are you a doctor? No, ma'am. I'm with the United States Internal Revenue Service. I take money from people all the time. (laughs) Look, guys, it may feel like that at times, but I want to tell you that God has put you in his providence in one of the most blessed nations we have ever had. May we take seriously our command to honor those God has put in our lives to respect those God has put in our lives, but even more so, Lord, what is it through all this that you have for me in my life? Because remember, the big idea, a faithful church, a faithful Christian is from above and identifies with the King of Kings, not any country, not any nationality, or political party. Jesus says you're his. Lord, what is it you want me to do with my life? Will you pray as we close out today? Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity it is to be in the nation that we have. Lord, it's, it's flawed. We know that. There's things that happen every day that are injustices even to your word. But there's so much good that we have. Father, we have the freedom to assembly today. Thank you so much. Father, may we not take for granted the opportunity we have to meet one with another. First, because you command it. But second, because we have the opportunity freely. Father, may we use our freedom of speech to speak widely the gospel of Jesus Christ, the boldness that it requires to call people to faith, but the love that it requires to do so with a tender heart, looking at people as you did, Lord, with sheep without, like sheep without a shepherd. Father, may we 
remember that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. And, and as we live out for you, these qualities that you have unshackle us to, to put things in their proper place. Father, help us to do that. Lord, let us render under to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and do so willingly, Lord, because you command it. But at the same time, may we render our lives unto you because you have even commanded our souls to give back to what you have saved us from. And that is the very sin that ensnares and entangles. Father, we love you so much. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for this church. May you be glorified in all we say and all we do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As, as we close out today before our brother starts, I just want to ask you to stand with us. If you'd like to pray, Brother Nelson and I will be up front. Pastor Nelson, we'd love to pray with you. We'd love to talk with you. We love you all so much. Let's sing our last couple songs as we close out.